Okay, let's go ahead and come on in. Make our way to our seats, please. Let's go ahead and come on in. I kind of feel like we've been a little light on the carbs here for Sunday school. We need to solve that somehow. We need to reintroduce some unhealthy foods uh, to start the Sunday school hour. We'll see about that. Next week is spring ahead, correct? Is that next week or is that the week after? No, yes! Mm, that is my favorite week of the year. I love having long days. And those of you who've had me as pastor for any length of time know that when we fall back, I'm in the depths of despair because the sun goes down prior to 6 p.m. and even 5 p.m. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. But next week, yes. So I will bring donuts next week for everybody who overcomes the lack of sleep and arrives bright and early for Spring Ahead Sunday. And I will be one who is very cheery about this. You may be grouchy as a grizzly bear, but that's okay. My donuts will cheer you up, okay? So please come out next week for Spring Ahead Sunday. And uh, at the very least, I, uh, you know what? I'm gonna buy two dozen donuts so we don't have to cut them in half. You can have a whole donut, all right? You get a whole donut and we'll keep the kids away from them. I just, I keep the kids at bay no children fingers in there until all the adults have been served, and we'll go from there. All right, Psalm 138. We're going to be in Psalm 138 this morning. Uh, Psalm 138. We've been doing a Sunday school series through what it means to believe, and I felt it appropriate to just take a little, maybe one Sunday break from that and talk about troubling times. How many of you have watched uh, the events unfolding in Eastern Europe with alarm and maybe even a little worry? Raise your hand if you're in my number. Okay, good. I'm not alone. You know, anytime world leaders start threatening other world leaders with nuclear missiles, uh, that, is not a, uh, that is not a settling thought, is it? Um, so today we're going to study a psalm that speaks to this. It's Psalm 138. It's page 521 in the Blue uh, Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those. And if you don't own a modern translation of the Scriptures, that blue one is now yours. Please take it home with you and read it. And if uh, you need to find it, it's page 521. Before we read the psalm, this psalm, let's talk about what the psalms are, what they were. Most of the Psalms were written by a man named David. David was a king, a very unlikely king at that. He was the youngest of several brothers. He was raised as a shepherd boy. He did not think that highly of himself, but turns out he was quite the warrior. He, with God's help, defeated Goliath. I think people who are totally unfamiliar with the Bible know the story of David and Goliath because everybody roots for an underdog. Well, the fact is Goliath never had a chance because he wasn't fighting David. He was fighting God. <laughs> and that's the whole point of the story. That's what David would tell us is the point of the story. Well, at any rate, David becomes king and he's described in the Bible as the man after God's own heart. David is a flawed character. So in that way, he's not like God. But he's 
He's like God in the way he meditates, in the way he thinks, in the way he articulates. He is a poet extraordinaire. And Israel, just like we have those little gray books in front of you that say hymnals on them, it's a worship book. It's songs and poems meant to assist your worship. David wrote a lot of those, many of which we don't even have in our Bibles. But David wrote them, and this is one of the psalms that David wrote. This was a psalm that was meant to be sung by pilgrims who were headed up to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. God built into his calendar, as you've been reading in your daily Bible reading, festivals. God wanted for at least one week of the year for his people to go camping in tabernacles in their out in the woods, or later on, they would just pop a little tent up in their front yard or their front area. It was to remember the time they spent in shelters. There, was, there were feasts. There were several of these. And one of these feasts, they would go up to Jerusalem. And this was a song that was meant to be sung as they went up to worship. Okay? Now, not every year when they were going up to worship were things rosy. Sometimes when they went up to worship, there was national trouble. Sometimes there were kings threatening all sorts of bad things against David and his troops. Sometimes there were troubles within the nation itself that were for trouble. And so Psalm 138 is written by David as a psalm to prepare us for worship and a psalm to prepare us for worship during troubling times, okay? This is a song that helps us prepare our hearts for worship, especially during troubling times. So let's read it, and I'm going to show you this, and we'll work our way through it. Psalm 138. I give, thank, I, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. This word gods, I don't want us to get stumbled up too much on it. The word uh, can mean, this word can refer to mighty people. It can also refer to perhaps the false gods of the surrounding nations. Um, This could just be powerful men. This word can be used of powerful men. Okay, so we're not exactly sure what David has in mind here, and so the translators just brought over the most basic meaning for us. Okay, but that's the idea. Okay, so before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord. For they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. 
Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let me show you that this is a psalm for troubling times, first and foremost. Look at verse 3. It says, the day that I called for strength. Verse 3, there was a day that David had to call. This word called is a summons or a supplication. It's a request uh, directed to someone. There are days that we cry and we cry out for no reason at all. The wicked flee when none pursues. But in this case, David's call is directed. It's directed to somebody. And we see here that he's directing it to God. David specifically invokes God's name. Let's go down to verse 7. He says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, this word in the middle of has the idea of in the very middle of. When Jonah is in the belly of the whale, he says, I was inside the whale. I had a construction friend who used to say, did you put it in the middle of the middle of the mark? <laughs> and what he meant was, don't just cut it on the line, but cut it in the middle of the middle of it, or drop your screw in the middle of the middle. The bullseye. David says here, I'm in the belly of the trouble. I'm in the midst, I'm in the dead center of the trouble, this distress, this is Danger, this word danger in the midst of trouble refers to, uh, Jacob uses this word in the book of Genesis when he's on the run from his brother who wants to murder him. This word is used of brothers who've been imprisoned and are being interrogated. We would say this is an imminent threat. That's what, how we would describe this word trouble. I, I, it's an imminent danger. And I'm in the middle of the middle of imminent danger. Threats surround me, David says. Why? What are those threats? Well, the second part of verse 7 explains it. There is wrath of his enemies that are coming down upon him. The word wrath literally means heat from one's nostrils. It's a very picturesque word. You can picture a, a, a warrior who is angry, his adrenaline is pumping, he wants to take the head off of the next opponent that he sees and his nostrils are flared. More heat than light. That's the sort of heat and danger that David is talking about. And when King David faced danger, he always faced murderous danger. He didn't face danger very often of other varieties. He was a man of bloodshed. He was a man who knew battle and knew what it was to be in the middle of peril. So David, in this psalm, is talking about a troubling time. There are enemies surrounding him. He's in the middle of it. And they're not going to play nice. He's in the midst of great danger, grave danger, imminent threats. And David says that during these troubling times, he wants to worship. So this is a psalm for worship during troubling times. So when David is facing all of these troubles, 
the job at hand, as it were, is to get before the Lord and praise the Lord and worship the Lord. Let's look at the very beginning, verse 1. He says, I give you thanks. I am giving you thanks. If you look up the other references of this word to give thanks, it's, it's a confessional type of giving thanks. I give you thanks because. It's not a simple thank you. It's a recitation of, or a recitation rather, a recitation of all the reasons that one has to be thankful and grateful. Maybe some of you young men, when you, or some of us older men, when we first got married, we say, I I love you to our brides, and, and she wants to know why. Enumerate the reasons for your love. It's a wonderful thing. It's the idea. David says in the second part of verse 1, he says, I sing your praise. I give you thanks with my whole heart. I sing your praise, he says. This word singing doesn't necessarily specifically mean to sing. It It means to make music of any sort. Last night, I was trying to watch a golf tournament. It was an excellent golf tournament, the Arnold Palmer Invitational or something like that. It's played in Orlando. And what did I hear coming from my son's room but loud whistling of a worship song? Peyton was thunderously whistling. (laughs) And everything in me wanted to say, knock off your whistling, I'm trying to watch golf. But you can't tell your teenage boy to stop whistling worship songs now, can you? Especially not when you're a pastor. So you just turn up the golf tournament, okay? This is, this is a heart that's continually at worship. It's overflowing in any sort of music, music of the heart. Perhaps you can't sing, but you can hum. Perhaps you can't hum, but you can whistle. Perhaps you sit down at the piano and play out some music pick up an instrument. And while you do that, the words are emanating from your heart up to God in thanks and praise and song. That's the idea. Thank you, Lord. When troubling times come, you find the songs that resonate most with your heart and you sing those back to God. For me, I'll tell you what my go-to song is. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. That's the song that I always go to during troubling times. O great God is another good one. O great God of highest head, occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme, conquer every rebel power. I'm sure you have your own favorites, but these are the ones you should be singing back to God. He says... In the second verse, I bow down toward your temple. I bow down toward your holy temple. There's a bit of a trouble with this verse, for the temple had not yet been built. (laughs) David did not build the temple. His son Solomon did after his death. The word temple just means palace or abode, the living place of God. That's what David is referring to here. It's a metaphor. Wherever you are, God, I bow down. Wherever I am, I know you can be there, so I bow before you. I 
I bring myself into your presence. That's the idea. I'm coming to where you dwell. I'm bringing myself into fellowship with you. He says that even those, in verse 5, even those who were bringing the trouble, in fact, David reminds himself of this, especially those who are bringing the trouble, one day will worship God in song. Now, they're not going to do it willingly. Willingly of a sort. But one day, all the tyrants of the earth that have ruled and taken advantage of their position and hurt innocent people for their selfish gain, one day, God is going to line them up like school children. And they're going to sing the glory of the Lord. For they've heard his words and ignored them. And now it's their turn to acknowledge that all of their power was derived. I, for one, am looking forward to that day. When God tells Joseph Stalin, for example, to lift his head up and sing louder. <laughs> when God tells Vladimir, I expect a smile on your face. Or any other world ruler who has shaken his fist at God. Why do the heathen rage? Why do, the, why do men plot in vain? Says the second song. God is going to line these very small people up and have them sing his praise to his great glory. That'll be a wonderful day. Now, David gives us some reasons to worship during troubling times. We've said here that David is in the middle of troubling times. That much is clearly seen. We see that this is a worship song for all the different worship that's going on, but David is also going to give us some reasons for that worship. And the first reason for the worship, there's three of them in verse 2. It's for his steadfast love and for his faithfulness and for the fact that God has made his own name great. This word, steadfast love, has the idea of loyalty. God doesn't abandon you. God doesn't bring you somewhere and then leave you to melt on your own. He's with you. He's by your side. When Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he was quoting many verses that we could point to in the Old Testament of God's presence. I will go with you. I will be with you. I will help you. His steadfast love David had experienced and when we're in the middle of troubling times, it's good for us to recount all the ways in which God has faithfully and loyally helped us. His faithfulness, it's this word for, the word faithfulness actually has the idea of truthfulness or truth. You are true to yourself. You, you, you're consistent. You've always come through. You're a faithful friend, a loyal, loving friend. And then he thanks God for something that we might not immediately praise God for, but it was right on the heart of David. Look at the end of verse 2. 
He says, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. I bow down, I give thanks. I give thanks because you have exalted above all things your name and your word. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. David is praising God for God's own self-exaltation. Now, this would be a tough pill to swallow if an ordinary person were exalting themselves. Who enjoys rooting for the athlete that pounds his chest and makes much of his own accomplishments? I remember one year I was coaching a, a basketball team putting the system in place to run our offense. And one of the players on the team said, oh, I guess, I guess I'll just have to get my points in transition. I guess I'll just have to get my points a different way. Because the offense did not involve him being the star of the show. And I said, I guess you'll just get your points when the situation calls for it. And <laughs> That was a little different thinking for him. He didn't understand that. Probably is no surprise that he did not play a whole lot. Um, he didn't want to come in the system. Well, God is not a person. God is not a mere man. God is a person, but he's not a mere man. He's not a flawed man. God is the greatest, most lovely person in the universe. To exalt himself is to exalt the greatest good, to exalt the most powerful thing. God would be robbing us of the greatest good had he not exalted above all things his name and his word. What is the best thing for us? Well, it's God. And so when God puts forth God, we can be thankful for that. That's what David is doing. God is exalted above all things, his name and his word. David found so much wisdom and hope and comfort in God's word and found God's word to be the stabilizing influence in his life. And so David is praising God for this. Verse 3, David worships God for answered prayer for strength in troubling times. Let's read verse 3. <clears throat> On the day that I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Okay, let's just have a very rudimentary grammar lesson. What are the verb tenses in verse 3? They're past tense. So what's David recounting here? There was a day when I was in great trouble. I called, past tense, and there was a definitive answer. And I can look back on that and mark that. You strengthened me. This, these words, this answered prayer for strength, this word, strengthened, actually has the idea of overwhelming. Would you guys like to hear another place in the Bible this word is used? Well, I'll tell you. It's used in the Song of Solomon. It's a love poem written between husband and wife. And the husband tells his wife, your beauty 
overwhelms me. That's the word. You strengthened me. You overwhelmed me with strength. I'm overcome with your enabling power. Then he says, your, your overflowing, overwhelming strength. You Let's see here, I'm going to get back to verse 3 here. My strength of soul, you, you increased. And then David prays for yet more strength. David, of course, is rejoicing and worshiping. We talked about this a moment ago, that God controls the world's leaders. <laughs> One day they're going to sing. He controls them to that extent. One day they're going to sing. God, verse 6, pushes away the haughty, the uplifted, the haughty of heart, those with upturned chins who think there's something great. He knows them from afar. The idea here in the ancient world was you would do anything for a friend. Okay? If, a, if, an, if a friend came to your house in need, you would move heaven and earth to help your friend. But God is not saying, I know them as a friend. I know of them. I'm factually aware of their existence. But I know them from a great way apart. There's no personal relationship that I have. Proud are known at a distance. Perhaps you've watched some football games and as the running back slides out into the open field, the tackler's coming. What does he do? He takes his arm and he pushes back against the stiff arm. That's the idea. Pushing them away. The haughty, he pushes back against. But... He regards the lowly. Now, this is a special word in the text. This is one of the cool words of the text. He regards the lowly. How many of you, when you read that, you thought the lowly of heart? Because if you're haughty of heart, then you can also be lowly of heart. It can mean that, but its predominant use is the lowly Physically, those who are flat on the ground, those who are doubled over with grief, those who are physically affected by the trouble and turmoil that is washed over them. I think I have a picture of this in my mind. When uh, my wife and I were uh, engaged in dating, I worked a cleaning job to try to supplement some of the money for the honeymoon and so forth. One of my jobs was to clean at a funeral home. And before the viewings, um, they would have the flowers all in the casket, and I'd have to come and vacuum. Clear out of there before the family started to attack. One day, I was attending to this room, and I had just come back into the room I just cleaned. 
this man's father was in the casket. And he was collapsed over the top of his father, uncontrollably weeping for the loss of his dad. I didn't know what to do. I'm the custodian. I just walked up and put my hand on his shoulder and assured him that I'd be praying for him. That's the idea. This physically laid low for the intense grief that one feels. And when you're there, know this. God has great regard for you. For as low and bent over and burdened as you feel, God is there holding you in high esteem. It's quite the contrast. Those who lift up their heads like they're somebody are pushed away like they're nobodies. Those who are doubled over in grief have God right there regarding them highly. Verse 7, we praise God because God preserves life with both hands. Now clearly, God doesn't have parts. God doesn't have hands. This is a metaphor. We're told here in verse 7, he says, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Simultaneously, your right hand delivers me. Your right hand picks me up and delivers me. The right hand was the hand of power, of might. God doesn't reserve his mightiest strength to fend off enemies. That's for the left hand. His real source of power, his truest strength, is reserved for preserving you. Isn't that amazing? He reaches down, he grabs you, he stiff arms the rest, and he holds you. He is preserving your life with both hands. Now, look at the end of verse 8. He says, do not forsake the work of your hands. You might want to circle hands and draw arrows back up so you can remind yourself what God is doing with those hands. Simultaneously pushing away and preserving. Pushing away your adversaries and preserving you. It's amazing. Another reason for worship during troubled times, his purposes are sure. Verse 8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Now that's a blanket statement, isn't it? And believe it or not, in Hebrew, it's even more blanket. It's this idea is it will be completed. Um, it, the, the, it, it, it's a little bit tough to translate. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The, the idea is fulfill what concerns me. Anything relating to me, anything that is touching me, anything that is right up against me, God's purpose is, is, uh, is going to, to play itself out. And furthermore, this idea of what concerns me, in English, that's sort of a neutral idea, isn't it? I can have matters that pertain to me that might be good, might be bad, might be indifferent. But this is a preposition that literally means for the benefit of. Okay? We have that preposition, for the benefit of. 
God will fulfill what befits me. God will fulfill what is to my benefit. God is for my good at all times and his glory at all times. God's purposes for us aren't evil or wicked or rotten. His purposes are beneficial only ever, though we might not see it all with our limited perspective. David says he's praising God because his purposes are sure, his purposes are beneficial, and his purposes are never thwarted. God does what he wants. And what he wants to do is deliver you and push his enemies away from you. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be enemies. It doesn't mean they won't shout over the wall. It doesn't mean they won't make a lot of noise. But you are safe in God's mighty right hand. And even if the situation that's causing you great peril and doubled over pain takes you, even if it takes you, what does that mean? It means you're with Christ. For me to die is gain. That's the idea. Now, I have some prescriptions for us. Okay? Can I give you a non-biblical prescription first? Okay, I'm going to give you... I don't have Bible for this, so take it for whatever it's worth. If the news about the Ukraine is bothering you, turn it off. You don't need to know. Okay. Some of you are thinking, I have to be informed. Do you know? Did anybody ask your opinion to start it? Is anybody asking your opinion on how to end it? If it's disquieting you that much, just turn it off. Tell your spouse or whoever is taking it in and doesn't seem to be bothered by it, say, to them, when I need to know something, will you please let me know? <laughs> Until then, you know what you should do? I do have Bible for this. Just look to God. Just look at God. He's the great reality. He's the great giver of life. He's the person that will protect you. Think of it like this. When your child is worried or afraid. Do you ever scold them for just coming right to you? Maybe they're, you're somewhere and there's a lot of noise and it bothers your child. What do they do? They run right to your leg and they bear hug it. Have you pushed them away for that? No. Non-Bible advice, but strong nonetheless. Turn it off. Bible advice, look to God. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord. Let us know God's proclamations. We can't rejoice in what God is doing if we don't know what he's doing. And where does God tell us what he's doing? He tells us in his word. You have exalted above all things your word. So learn his word and learn what God says. Let us cry out for strength of soul. Okay? Cry to a person. Ask God for strength. And the day that I called, he answered me. My strength of soul be increased. Let us beg for protection. 
That's what David does. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lord, you said with your hand you push my enemies away and with your right hand you deliver me. Would you not forsake the work of your hands and protect me? Let us ask for hastened righteousness. This is what Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come. There's so much evil in this world. I read a stat this week. I told the men in our prayer time before. You know, the United States aborts over 800,000 babies a year. Earlier this year, our Congress, the House, passed a bill that said you can abort a baby all the way up until birth. We don't. That's barbaric. <laughs> I don't have any other words for that. Oh, Lord, your kingdom come. Stop that. Stop that. Pray for that. Let us express our confidence in God's sovereignty. Enumerate all the ways that God has sovereignly controlled your life, and let us ask for more confidence. Let us ask for more confidence. When troubled times come, humble ourselves, know God's proclamation, let us cry out for strength, let us beg for protection, let us ask for his kingdom to come, let us express confidence in his sovereignty, and let us ask for more confidence. Just a very brief note. Notice none of these involve worry or anxiety. For Jesus said, has any of you ever increased your stature by worrying about it? Now, I'm, I'm short, so I get that. Man, if I could just have been a little bit taller, I would have been the greatest professional athlete ever to live. I wouldn't have. I'm, if, only, if only this, if only that. Take your eyes off of the thing that's bringing you anxiety. Give it to the Lord and stay before the Lord. And that will help you during trouble times. Let's pray. Father, I pray for a Psalm 138 type of confidence during troubling times. You've given us every reason to worship you. And I pray that we would look with great confidence to you. Strengthen us now, especially as we come to you in worship. We give you thanks. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.